It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how you played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this special preview edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm David Bloomberg, and I'm happy to be back after a podcast summer break. Uh, the summer has calmed me down significantly from what happened on the Survivor season that shall not be named. And uh, joining me, of course, is my co-host, Jessica Lewis, who spent a few days of her summer hanging out with a bunch of Survivor players, including even some from that season. I did. And hello, David Bloomberg. It's so great to be back. And thank you to everyone who is returning and listening to us again. And yeah, you really had to go there first, didn't you? Because when I met Chris Underwood, he was um, a fantastic. I'm I'm sorry, who? (laughs) Don't be like that. (laughs) He was and is an incredible person, but I did have to spend some time soothing things over with him because he (laughs) he did listen to our podcast and oh poor chris yeah so but it wasn't about chris and i explained that to him and i won't rehash the whole thing it was it was the season and it wasn't chris but needless to say exactly there was quite a bit of that that went on at hearts of reality but (laughs) i will say i won't tick off everybody that i ended up meeting and and spending time with but i will include angela rockstar from big brother i've I've ventured out a little bit, so there's some big brother love going on. But and Matthew Simmons from Australia came to visit with his mom. I will say that. And uh, they were fantastic and so much fun to hang out with. We had a wonderful breakfast and they traveled a very, very far way to be with survivors that they just it was just really incredible to see the appreciation that they had for us and their appreciation that they have for the show so that was great but okay when you said when you said you won't tick off all the people you meant like check off not tick off like and get angry oh yes i won't check off because there were so many listen hearts <laughs> of reality is so much fun and there are so many incredible reality and i'm i'm saying you know these are air quote stars that are there because that's what they call us reality stars but there's just a lot of people who are present raising money for an incredible cause and having so much fun. And if I sat here and talked about everyone, we would never get to the actual purpose of today. But I do have to tell you a funny story. Okay. So here's my funny story. I have never met Abby Maria. And I had an opportunity to finally meet her in person this round of Hearts of Reality. So my okay. meet, my meeting of you, her... You didn't, you didn't take her bracelet, did you? No. Oh, that was from, I wasn't on her season. Come on. <laughs> no, I meant when you met her, you didn't take her bracelet. No, but that would have been funny, right? I mean, like, you know, old times. I took it out of your bag, you know. Uh, but yeah, so she was at the pool and I walked out 
to the pool area with my family. So I'm with my husband and my daughter and my son. And I see her and I was like, oh, I'm going to go say hi to Abby Maria. And I walk over and she sees me and she comes walking over to me and she's excited to meet me too, which was really an incredible experience to know that she was excited to meet me. And she sees me and she gives me a hug and she tells me how pretty she thinks I am. And she's just like, oh my goodness. And then she sees my husband and she's like, oh my God, he's so hot. And then she sees my daughter and goes, oh, she's so beautiful. And like throws her drink on the ground and walks away. She's like, I can't handle you people. And she like walked away from us. It was hysterical. It was so funny because it was just like one right after the other. But yeah, so that was my meeting of, of Abby Maria. It, she, she threw her drink on the ground because she couldn't handle us. So that was fun. I think that was just your way of bragging about how beautiful you all are. No, listen, I'm not bragging. This is what happened. <laughs> and she is an incredible, incredible person. Her friend Katie Upton, also amazing. But there was it was such a great time. So thank you for letting me go on a little tangent there. But good times. Lots of fun. So that was my summer. But yeah, sorry, Chris okay. Underwood. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, yeah, speaking of... Uh, of the the season that uh, shall not be named. Um, You might think that that was the most recent one, but no, because those of us who watch international survivor have actually seen two seasons since then. uh, One from South Africa and one from Australia. I won't give away any spoilers in case uh, anyone listening is behind like Jessica is. I am. I am. I know. But, but I will tell you everybody, if you haven't watched yet, you really should. They're both great seasons. Um, other than spending my time watching that, sometimes it was four days a week of Survivor. So yeah, it's a you know, lot. Be, yeah, well, it, hey, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily this off season wasn't as eventful as last summer off season for me. You know, no big medical issues or anything. Uh, but you know, we were both in the Royal Rumble wrestling match <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> yes, with, we were with, with many of our fellow RHAP <laughs> podcasters. Um. I got to come out first in a why you lost t-shirt. Can I tell you, you had the best introduction out of everybody in the rumble. It was well, amazing. Did you see there were also the, the supportive fans holding signs saying, are you a loser? Yes. <laughs> so, you were jacked too. I must, I was impressed. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if it, all you have to do is look at my Twitter profile picture, you can see that. Uh, well, okay. First of all, I should say this was all a simulation. Uh, for Robin and Kiva need a podcast, but so look at that picture. You can see that they accurately represented 100% my physique. Absolutely. And you did some serious damage. I, on the other hand, didn't last very long. No. Yeah. I got taken Uh, out pretty quick. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) you know, I I had to apologize for the uh, knee drop I did and the uh, (laughs) neck breaker I did to Shannon. It was incredible. Uh, hey, it's all, it's all part of the game. It know. is. I was showing my family and they were like, what are we even watching? Like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm part of it. So it's exciting. <laughs> Who knows? It was great. It was it was a lot of fun. Yes. So uh, at this point, you know, and maybe we should have done this earlier uh, for newcomers to the podcast. Welcome. And uh, this isn't normally what we talk about. No. Um, and, and same for those who have listened before. Welcome back. Uh, so to bring you up to speed, if you've made it these uh, seven minutes in and wondering what is going on here, <laughs> uh, you know, once the season begins, we'll be here every week to discuss what each voted out player did right and wrong in terms of rules that I originally wrote way back after the very first Survivor season, and I've been updating ever since. 
discussions about each player used to appear in my columns on the Reality News Online website, which I created and ran for a long time, uh, but which I had to close down several years back. But the column was reborn as a podcast with Rob Sesternino uh, and, and me a few years ago. And then we switched things up. I, I traded in Rob for Jessica. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we've been, uh, you know, uh, rocking it ever since. <laughs> oh, look at that. Uh, Got to get a rock joke in there. Of course. Well, I appreciate uh, the fact that I've been able to fill such a very large set of shoes. So thank you for including me in this. Sure. Absolutely. And. Uh, you know, so today, obviously, there's no one to talk about why they lost, but we're going to talk about why we think certain people will lose. Uh, talk about them, make some predictions, you know, all the things you'd expect from a preview show. And I will also address uh, how we think certain players will do with the rules and discuss a few tweaks to those rules as well. Yeah, I think it sounds like a great plan. Let's do okay. this. Uh, so now I don't think the new version of the rules will be posted by the time listeners are hearing us. Uh, but anyone who wants to can still find last season's version at robhasawebsite.com slash survivor 38 rules. And we'll let you know when the new version goes up. And, you know, we'll, we'll discuss the changes here in a minute, but there's also a shorter and much more colorful version of the rules that was created by Eric Reichenbach at Jessica's direction. Uh, and uh, in case you've forgotten about it over the summer, or like I said, you're a, a, a new listener, uh, it's available to everyone at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. And uh, Jessica, you directed that. So why don't you explain it for anyone who's new? Yeah, that was a present for Mr. David Bloomberg. It was a nice surprise that Eric and I put together. He chose particular scenes from memorable moments of Survivor that display the rules in a visual form, if you will. So we put it in a poster form and it is now available for purchase, $20 and it's 11 by 17. Looks fantastic in a frame. I have one upstairs. I love it. Beautiful colors. And Eric really just blew me away. I was not expecting it to be as incredible as it is. It's really great. So easy to purchase right on eBay. And Please order them up because we have a limited quantity left. However, if there's a high demand, then we can always order some more to sell some more. So please go on eBay and check that out. That's right. Get them now because, you know, the second printing is never worth as much as the first. Right. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. They're like numbered editions, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Yeah. So, again, that's tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. Uh, as far as moving forward, the new version of the rules, which is technically titled what Island of the Idols survivors should have learned, doesn't have any big changes to the rules themselves. So we don't need to change the posters or anything. We're not going to make anything obsolete. Uh, but it, Thank it God. does have a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, we've got shirts. We've got, po- you know, our own shirts that we wear. We'd have to change everything up. Right. Too um, much. It, but it does have a few additional explanations and examples. Um, you know, and, and also I moved one discussion. Uh, so let's just go ahead into that. The rules have always had a note at the beginning to remind everyone that the point of the rules is for players who want to win. And, you know, that should be obvious, but yeah, there are often a few others who have other goals on their mind. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and this quote will mean nothing to you, Jessica, but I'm going to quote Harry, who's a super fan on the most recent season of Australian Survivor. 
And he was sitting at tribal council and he said, people should play to win. Yes. And it is, it, it just struck me. It's like, yes, perfect. That's, 100%. that's exactly right. I've never understood why anyone goes into the game doing anything but playing to win. You're not yeah. there to find a soulmate. You're not there to have an experience or. But what about saving chickens? <laughs> no. <laughs> Although we've seen that too, right? Yeah. No, some people oh, yeah. We'll, go on we'll to save chickens. We'll get to more of that later. Yeah. Um, so moving on, I believe I mentioned on at least one podcast last season that I would probably be moving the special corollary from rule two to rule one. And I've done that. And this is the part that warns against keeping your scheming so secret that the jury doesn't know you've been doing it. Mm, mm-hmm. I originally placed it in the second rule years and years ago because it was just an off the cuff mention. I think it was originally from uh, uh, the season that JT won uh, because of Steven, you know, that, that, you know, keeping it too secret. Mm-hmm. But over time, it's grown into such a significant issue that we see time and time again, people getting to the final tribal council and not getting any credit from the jury for their strategizing because they were they were so sly about it. Mm-hmm. And since it really relates to scheming and plotting rather than not doing it too much, it's better suited for the first rule. So, you know, that's where I've moved it. And added last season's example, despite my urge to never mention that season again. Uh, I, I also added a quote from this most recent season of Australian Survivor, again from Harry. At one point in the game, he talked about one of his tribe mates by saying that, you know, that that particular person could get to the final two and claim a lot. And then his quote was, but what is it really worth if nobody's seen it? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it. That that's exactly the point. You can claim everything you want, but they have to see it. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, uh, you know, moving on. Uh, last season also gave us a perfect example within the second rule about backstabbing too soon, and so I added a quote from uh, Stephen's blog, and he discussed quote how disastrous it is to turn on your alliance too soon. The entire post-merge has been players getting restless, voting out their allies, and immediately getting hoisted out of the game themselves. Eric turned on Joe and was gone next week. Julia turned on Eric, then she was out. Wardog turned on Wentworth, then he was immediately gone. It's a reminder that the fundamental unit of survivor strength is still and will always be the Alliance. Yes. Upend it at your peril. Listen, I, I did the same exact thing <laughs> and almost, <laughs> almost suffered the same fate, but for David Wright saving my ass. So, yeah, yes. I can attest to that. Please don't play too hard too soon. <laughs> so, all right. And then um, finally, uh, last season also made me add back an old addendum to rule four, which is about not letting your emotions control you. This was in the rules in the very early days as a side note necessitated by Survivor's second season. Uh, but I had taken it out of the rules because I, I thought it was so obvious and it wasn't coming up anymore. But Wendy's behavior forced me to put it back in because it says players shouldn't form emotional bonds with any animals, especially if those animals will be food. Mm-hmm. You know, this was one of the reasons that Kimmy uh, ended up losing way back at season two, though certainly not the only one. And, you know, I guess if your only goal is to temporarily save a few chickens lives instead of winning the game, you have the right to make that choice, but then we have to wonder again why you're on Survivor, and you certainly aren't following the quote 
people should play to win. Yes. I agree with that too. So, uh, but other than that, you know, considering how bizarre the end of last season was, I don't think we can or should take any other lessons from it. Though I, of course, hope the producers took the lesson that they should never do anything like that again, but they don't really have a great track record in that regard. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Still, those were the, the, the main changes to the rules for this season. So as we move forward into our predictions, I have a lot to live up to uh, in, in this podcast because last season I came in first in Mark Percy's almost 250 team survivor draft. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I also won the draft I'm in with uh, some poker players that mm-hmm. actually had a wallet related impact. Um, so, oh, and then the know. season before that, you picked the winner. Blah, oh, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Uh, thanks for reminding everyone. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am going to make a prediction right now that my predictions and drafts won't do as well as I did last season. Oh, my word. I'm terrible at this. You know it. I every every season that I have done this, I apologize ahead of time to whoever I choose as the winner. Because I have doomed your fate. <laughs> That's right. The, the back in time curse. Yes, exactly. So I apologize to everyone on this upcoming season. <laughs> but it has to happen. So it has to happen. It does. It does. Uh, before we get into it, I, I, I also want to uh, thank Josh Wiggler and Mike Bloom, who went to Fiji to interview all the contestants and have posted articles and or podcasts. We really appreciate how they then work together in the, the short preseason to cover the tribes in opposite orders. Uh, so, you know, we had uh, Josh talking about one tribe first and then Mike talking about the mm-hmm. other. And so, you know, that covered everybody for us. And that was great. So with that said, let's get into it. We'll start with uh, Lairo, Lyro. I don't know. Uh, the orange, I think. <laughs> orange. Just call him orange. Yes. And uh, we'll begin. Uh, we'll do this uh, alphabetical by first name. We'll begin with Aaron Meredith, who is 36 and a gym owner who used to be an electrical engineer. He lives in Rhode Island and is married. And Aaron says he has watched from day one, which makes him one of many longtime fans that we'll see as we go through this preview. He correctly told Mike Bloom that he has to hit the beach ready to make an alliance, which, of course, is something advised by the first rule. Also advised there is to make alliances and sub-alliances to stay on the right side of the numbers, which Aaron also talked about. And, of course, I like the fact that he made uh, Chicago Bulls references in terms of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, Aaron is definitely going to be a force out there, I think, as far as don't be too much of a threat. Just look at him. But Jeff Probst did say not to judge a book by its cover. That even though Aaron has the presence of being a Joe Englum, if you will, he actually, as Jeff put it, and I like the way he explained this, Aaron feels more protective. He comes across more as a dad. So I think it'll be an interesting dynamic to see Aaron out there, how he's going to overcome his physical appearance to actually show a different side of him. Because unfortunately, in this game, people do judge books by their cover because that's sometimes all you have to go on. And that's what they've been doing sitting around Ponderosa for the amount of time that they've been sitting there before playing the game. Yeah, I mean, between being the biggest guy out there and if he can really be as social as he thinks, which I also think he can do, uh, Aaron has a good shot to 
last a while, I think, at yeah. least until around the merge. Yes, um, I completely agree with that. He will, yeah. he, because they're going to need him. They're going to need him, obviously, to win challenges in the beginning. But then mm-hmm. once they get to the merge, he's going to be one of those threat to win individual immunities. And that's where he's going to run into an issue for certain. Yeah, I mean, at that point, a lot will depend on whether he really has avoided being the hero that, you know, he said, uh, you know, because sometimes players go in with the plan to not win everything, but it's just hard to avoid when you're trying to help your tribe get mm-hmm. a reward or stay away from tribal council. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there are a number of other big, tall, jacked people on this cast. Yeah. And, and I, and you know what, as you just mentioned, you know, that you go into things with a plan, unfortunately, I think, Everybody who plays this game goes in with a plan, yeah. but it doesn't always happen the way that you want it to happen, regardless of how good your plans are. So sometimes you're just too much of a particular way or a particular type of person that you can't put that part of yourself away or to the side enough to really cover it as much as you want. And so I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to not take on that role. Yeah. So. I mean, I think that Aaron will make it at least to the merge mm-hmm. and maybe even a little bit past that point. I, I think both his strategic and social game will be pretty good. But like you said, can he overcome being a physical threat? Yeah, I agree. I think he's I think he's making the merge, but I do think he's going to fall right around that merge boot time. He, he probably won't be the merge boot, but I think he's going to be right around that time. I think that that once they have a chance to go for him, that's what I foresee happening. But again, I'm wrong all the time. So. Hey, well, don't say that every every uh, time here. You just say it once. And, okay, you know. I said it once. Okay. <laughs> now twice. Um, well, all right. We move on to Chelsea Walker, who is either 26 or 27, depending on who's talking, because I've, I've seen and heard it both. Uh, she's a digital content creator in Los Angeles. And she is the first of several contestants who know about RHAP. And uh, she even knew about Survivor Maryland, though she went to college there, so that may be why. And you know, that may put her on a higher level of super fandom. Mm-hmm. She's dreamed about getting on Survivor for years. She's made it to finals three times. Heck, I was wondering if you ran into her at one point. Uh, but Possible. You know, she even... She even bought Jeff Probst a drink when she ran into him at a restaurant. Isn't that the most amazing story? <laughs> it, it worked, you know. Okay, listen, uh, you need to you need to share the story in case people haven't heard all of the podcast. Because this is like legit. If you're going to make a move, this is the kind of stuff that Jeff Probst wants to see. It was I, mean, I don't want to take the story away from her. And, you know, but basically, yeah, she saw him at a restaurant. And so she ordered up a drink for him. And uh and, you know, I, did she bring I think she brought it to him. No, she as announced reminder. as he as he got oh, it. That's what it was. Yes. Okay. That this one's on her and he can buy her a drink at the finale when he puts her on the ah, show. I mean, like, it's a really okay. bold move. So I, I got to give her a lot of props for that. OK, so. um, So, you know, hopefully with that, she'll get more airtime than the last Chelsea on the show. Well, and she might, considering she comes across as pretty funny as well. Like she's she's got a quirkiness about her, but I do hope that she doesn't uh, go in too excited because I do think that that mm-hmm. Chelsea is the kind of person who's been wanting this for so long. And this is again something Jeff mentioned too that she's kind of been in a cage and she's been she's been so close so many times to getting on the show because she's really gone to finals multiple times that she might get out there too fast too soon. But if she doesn't do that, I could see her doing well because she does seem to have an enjoyable personality. 
And I think that she's someone that people would easily be able to talk to and interact with. She doesn't come across as threatening. So I think if she's able to kind of reel it in and just enjoy what she's experiencing, I think she could, I think she could do well. Yeah. And you know, she recognizes, I think the whole don't come in too hot Mm -hmm. uh, situation. And so, you know, she talked about how, she was planning to slow down, keep a low profile, not make big moves early. Uh, as a matter of fact, she specifically told Mike Bloom she doesn't want to make big moves just for the sake of it, which, mm-hmm. yes, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, she's been memorizing puzzles, but she knows not to put herself in the hero position. And, you know, hopefully that me includes not telling her tribe mates that she's been memorizing puzzles and not volunteering to play that role in early challenges. It is funny the amount of people on this season that have said point blank, I'm not volunteering for anything. It's like, nobody's yes. going to do anything. <laughs> right. They're going to get out there and everybody's going to, I don't want to do it. Right, like, I'm do not it. doing it. It's not me. I'm not going to do it. No yeah. one's going to be doing anything. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people <laughs> we'll see who are playing dumb. They're all yeah. going to walk around going, uh, I don't know what to do. It's so incredible. Like, it'll be interesting to see how that all falls into play because so many have said that they're not volunteering yeah. for the puzzles. They're they're going to act like they don't know anything. <laughs> it'll be funny. Definitely funny. Yeah. Now, the one thing about Chelsea is she does want to align with another super fan. And in part, it's because people who don't know the game are unpredictable and she doesn't trust the recruits, which. I just love that. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just find that very amusing. No, I think uh, that's great because you can definitely see a difference between someone who is a fan of the game and someone who just has become a fan because they had to. Because someone right. said, hey, do you want to be on the show Survivor? So they go back and they watch some seasons. There's mm-hmm. a huge difference in how that person is going to approach the game. And I really do think the ones that are super fans are much more enjoyable to watch because they their mind works through the game so differently than someone who's just like, hey, you know, I'm on this show and we're going to see what happens. Because there's so many nuances they're just not familiar with. Right, right. Uh it- Chelsea did say she would lie and deceive no problem. And she mocked those who talk about their honor again, earning points with me Uh, with this on top of everything else. You can see why I like her right away and I expect her to do pretty well. Mm -hmm. If she, if she makes it past those critical first few days, which I think she will, I can easily see her making the merge and going even further because she'll know how to scheme and plot. She'll be flexible. She'll do well with whatever idols or advantages come her way. And I don't expect her to be viewed as a threat compared to a lot of the others. So she, you know, I'm about to say she, you know, she has a chance at winning it all. Jeff Probst seems to say that in every video. Well, this person is a real threat to winning. Right. I, I think it, at least half, if not 75% of the cast in his mind is a threat to win it all, which I guess is a good thing. You shouldn't cast them if they're not a threat to win it all. And when he doesn't um, say it, you're like, hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? But I do also agree. I think that I think she's going to do well. I, I have her finishing very far into the game. I do think that she's going to make it far. And uh, yeah, I I think she's, she's going to be enjoyable. I understand why they've kind of hung on to her for so long, because I do think she's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah. Speaking of hanging on for so long, you know, this is one thing that struck me is the number of players who have said, I've been in the process. I haven't made it. This is the first non Spillman cast. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, you know, what happened was that the new person in charge, I, I don't know exactly the structure. I don't know if they brought in whole new people or they promoted from within, whatever. If the new person or people came in and said, wow, we we have all these great people who never made it on. Let's look at them again. Yeah. And that could be because we, there was, I'm thinking of at least three from this cast that were either a four now. I'm going through the list that were going to be on the show, were alternates on the show, were actually cast and didn't get on because there was a broken foot involved. I mean, there's so there's a lot of uh, people on this season that were actually supposed to be on another season. So it's right. it's quite possible that that's what happened. Yeah. So anyway, uh, moving on, we have uh, Dean Kowalski, who is 28 and in tech sales, which I think means Google ads from from reading into it. Uh, and he's uh, in New York. Uh, Dean has been watching Survivor for probably five years, but does not consider himself a super fan, which is good because most super fans would not consider you a super fan for you know five years. It is possible. But, you know, somebody somebody draws an arbitrary line. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks his sales experience will help which in the past I've said is probably not true, but I said that about Chris Underwood last season and well, we saw what happened. Mm-hmm. Although or now that I think about it, I guess it didn't help him <laughs> at first. Uh, and uh, Dean won't have a chance to get back in the game if it doesn't work at first. For That's him true. That's true. I have some, some concerns for Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concerns really center around his self-awareness, even though he, he acts like he has self-awareness and says that he does. I'm still worried for him because he does come across, I think, as someone who could be viewed as um, a little arrogant. And you got to get past those initial uh, viewpoints. People are watching you. They're seeing you. And if he's got, as Jeff said, he's got a swagger about him that can come across as cocky. And Jeff actually says, as long as he doesn't just turn everybody off, and he's not the first one out, then I actually think he's probably a pretty reliable alliance partner. So there's going to be a hurdle for him just getting past, I think, that initial interaction where people are going to be judging him based on what they see. And then once they get into the game, I mean, he he's definitely a very smart guy. I mean, he's big into math and he's he's clearly very, very intelligent. And I think that if he gets over that hurdle, he could do very well, but he's got to get over that hurdle. And that's where I have some concerns for him because he really does have a lot to offer. He's clearly very strong. He's very smart and he's sure of himself. So I think that he would be someone that would be great to work with. But again, it's that initial beginning point of, is he going to rub people the wrong way? And then once you rub people the wrong way, do you have enough time to fix it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the way he comes off could easily make him a target if his tribe loses the first immunity challenge. I think his best hope is that they win the first few. So he has time for people to come to know who he is behind the cockiness. Yes. But, mm-hmm. but he's a real risk to be first one out. And if so, we'll be talking about how he didn't sufficiently pretend to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I he's, he's, he's a mixed bag. I mean, he's someone that I feel like, he could really go either way. He really could. And it all depends on those first few days. So his few first few days are going to be integral to whether or not he makes it all the way through the game. It's really, he's just one of those types of players. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Yeah. Now, someone who at least uh, Jeff and Josh and Mike and anybody who's met her does not think is going to have a problem with the, uh, the niceness is uh, the next contestant, Elaine Stott, who's 41 I love and Elaine. a factory worker. See, uh, uh, 
she she lives in Kentucky, I think in the same town or at least county as Nick, mm-hmm. uh, though apparently she didn't get to talk to him about strategy before uh, coming out. And so you love Elaine. Jeff loves Elaine. Josh loves Elaine. Uh, the general consensus is we will all love Elaine if she lasts long enough. And if all those assessments of her social skills are accurate, along with her athletic ability, I think she'll make it at least a few votes. Uh, Jeff said she's really funny. She's just really funny. So she just puts you at ease, or at least she puts me at ease. I want to have a beer with her immediately. And Josh said anyone meeting her will be rooting for her. Mm-hmm. I think that she is going to play the part of the game that is, I think, the most difficult for people, and that is creating those social bonds. She said she's going to look for her Ricky Bobby, which I think is fantastic that that's what she's doing. She's looking for and her. I, I'm sure I would think that's fantastic if I had any idea what that was. So. <laughs> I'm sure there's listeners out there that know what Ricky Bobby's all about. She's yeah. looking for her ride or die, but I love that she referred to him as Ricky Bobby or her as Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. I Because she's got a personality that I think people will gravitate towards. But I think she's also going to utilize it to her benefit because she wants she wants to make other people feel like they're the ones who are kind of making things happen. But I I think she's going to find that balance where people won't think that she's riding coattails by doing it that way. Like she doesn't want to be in the forefront, but she wants to be involved in all of it. But she wants to make somebody else feel like they're the ones going for it, which is Ricky Bobby, Ricky Bobby, look him up. But Ricky Bobby was like, he was, you know, the man and he was, he was in charge, but I really appreciate the the way that she's going to come into this game because I do think she's got the personality to do it. She won't be threatening, but she's likable. And I think she's going to be able to connect with people in a way that is going to enable her to make it far in this game. I really do. I see that happening for her. Yeah, I mean, her backstory makes me want to root for her, especially, you know, the more recent tragic parts relating to her mother Mm -hmm. dying and her kind of adoptive mom also not doing well. And, you know, if all of that comes out through her tribe mates, I can't imagine them letting her get within sniffing distance of the final three. Yeah. So, you know, if she makes it to merge, she'll probably get the final six or seven, but no closer. And then she'll be voted out as too big a threat with a great social game. Well, listen, I mean, this is the thing that I... I really do appreciate about her. And I, I actually wrote this down. I mean, she has been through some shit and I think that people who, and I say that because that changes your approach to a game like this. She's not coming into this game. We talk about you're here to win. She's here to win because she's got a lot of stuff that comes along with her. She's not looking for this adventure. She's looking to win. She's got a family she wants to support. And I think that makes your focus so different. But I also think that it will ingratiate her to people. And I do hope that she puts the brakes on the story a little bit just so she doesn't mm-hmm. run into that problem where people don't want to take her because she comes with that backstory. So, again, that will be an interesting thing to see play out and how she actually does that. But I really I am so excited about Elaine. I'm very excited to see how she does. Yeah. You also have to hope that um, the Kentucky accent doesn't make people think of Nick mm-hmm. and think, oh, here's another person who's just pretending to be, oh, yeah, she says she's a factory worker, but she's probably like a high-priced attorney or something and uh, is just pretend, you know, putting on this accent and this, uh, you know, kind of down-home persona, but she's really devious like Nick was. 
Yeah, that would be interesting. But I don't think she's going to I don't think she could even try to pull that off. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited for her. All right. The uh, next one up is Elizabeth Beisel. We're going to go with uh, who is 26 and uh, an Olympic swimming medalist uh, in Rhode Island. Uh, Jeff Probst says Elizabeth is probably the number one or number two most energetic person out there. I love her. When she walks in the room, I get happy. I think there's something about her, at least for me, that's just so likable and positive. And then Josh echoed that by saying she was very boisterous and fun. And all of those are good traits for the social game. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she's one of those people that was cast Mm -hmm. to be on the show. And so she's not. A big fan. She's watched the season, but it's not something or she's watched seasons. She did watch Borneo. She was a fan, but got away from it. And so I, she's she's going to be one of those individuals who's not a super fan, but likes the show. And so I wonder how much of an effect it's going to have on her game playing with people who are super fans. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Probst even admitted she lacked survivor experience. Yeah. He almost never talks about that. And then she said she wants to avoid being schemy and wants to be the challenge beast. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. You really haven't watched, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being the challenge beast may work to her advantage early on, especially if there are a lot of swimming challenges, but it's going to work against her later. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing is, if she really does avoid all that horrible, awful schemy stuff, she may get the boot before the merge anyway. So if I had to guess, which I do because that's what we do here. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd say she'll go shortly before merge and, you know, we'll be saying she didn't scheme and plot enough. And, you know, although she played a, a good social game. Yeah. I have her like potentially making the merge. It all depends on where the merge falls, but I do mm. have her right around that, that mix as well. I don't think that she's going to make it well into the merge. I think because the challenges at the beginning, she'll be, necessary for because if she's as strong as she appears to be and she's an olympic swimmer for god's sake so if they're swimming she's she's going to be in the water so i think that for that purpose she'll maintain her spot in the tribe but then once they get to the merge i don't think she's going to be sticking around much longer yeah i agree but oh my god she won so many medals i just have to give her Ah. props wow like that's incredible yeah, really it's just Survivor won't be one of those medals. No, but she was 15 the first time she was in the Olympics. Like, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, I know. I, that you, you can understand why she didn't have time to watch Survivor. And you know? Exactly. Like, I'm not giving her a hard time. I, I think she seems like a great person. But it, again, in this day and age of Survivor, there's so many super fans. It's, it's going to be a hard thing to not be a super fan if you want to play this game right. anytime soon. Right. And that brings us to our next uh, contestant, uh, Karishma Patel. I hope I didn't massacre her name there. Uh, she's 37. She's a personal injury attorney uh, from in Texas. And she has been a fan of Survivor since season 17. She's watched every season since then and went back to watch the rest. And she's an RHAP fan who says she has a great head for the strategy of the game. And most importantly, she was already following me on Twitter. So Aww, that's a good sign. That. Yeah. That's something. Uh, Yeah, so Jeff says that she is one of his favorite people this season because she's so clear in why she's there. And that is she's there 100% for herself. And I thought that was interesting because we've talked a little bit already about people who are not there to win the game. And she doesn't say that she's not there to win. 
She's there for her 100%. But it is an interesting explanation because part of her culture and and how she's been raised, this is not anything that she should be a part of. And so I do think for her taking this step and being on this show, she's got to be doing nothing but wanting to win because oh, yeah. of everything that she's setting aside in order to be here. She's taking such a huge risk that I can see her if she's taking such a huge risk just to be on the show, then she's 100% going to be taking risks while she's playing the game. Because why not? You've already right. made the biggest risk you could possibly make, and that's going on the show to begin with. Yeah. And yeah. So her number one strategy is to be non-threatening, and she knows she can't bring who she is in real life because she's too strong, dominant, and aggressive. Uh, those personal injury attorneys. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, she knows she needs to take a step back and not show who she really is. She wants people to be comfortable talking to her. So she plans a lot of social game and, you know, all that sounds good, but let's face it. It is often hard to push down who you really are. So we'll have to see if she can do it. As we said earlier, there's a number of people who are saying, well, this is the persona I'm going to adapt. And that sounds great until you've been out there without food, you know, sleeping on bamboo and uh, for days and days on end. And mm-hmm. then it, I think it becomes really hard to hide who you are. Oh, I agree 100%. And she's a trial lawyer too. So there, that's a that's a whole nother level as far as being a lawyer, because when you're a trial lawyer, you have to have more of an ability to communicate and talk to people. So that part of you is going to come across. You're going to be a little more persuasive and you're going to have a way of of putting your words together and trying to convince people of certain things, even if you don't realize you're doing it, because that's what you do every single day. And so it might be very a trial lawyer. I am. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I am very aware of how that can come across. So I do think that it could potentially be difficult for her to put that aside and not to give off that part of her when she's having those conversations with people. It might be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I like that she recognizes both that lying is fair in the game and that she is too skeptical to trust someone else fully. I think both of those are very important. Mm -hmm. You know, so if she can manage to push down some of the characteristics that might make her more of a target, I think she'll do well in the scheming and plotting aspects of the game. I agree. I, I do. And I have to I have to say she was talking about making opening arguments and how 99% of it, is it all true? No. And I was like, oh, that made me cringe just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear that that's what's happening when people are making their opening arguments. But uh, clearly she's, she's got some, some experience with weaving a, a story and putting things <laughs> together and, and presenting it in a certain way. So I I think she's going to do well. I do I do agree that she's going to do well because I don't think she's someone that comes across as physically threatening and she, I think she'll be able to kind of fill a different role at the beginning and so mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to help her hang in there for the long haul. Yep, I agree. Uh next up we have Missy Bird who is 24 and an Air Force veteran uh living in Washington. She's another huge Survivor and RHAP fan. Uh, Even though she's young, she has a hell of a backstory with the brain tumor that affected her so significantly. And, you know, then after recovery, she made a list of what she wanted to do in life, which included Survivor. 
she found the show in college, watched everything more than once, and took notes. So hopefully some of those notes include my rules. I hope so. And let me tell you, this girl is scary. <laughs> like, her, the minute I saw her picture, I was like, whoa. I was definitely scared because she just, she has such a presence about her in her cast photo. However, in the group cast photo, she is smiling and just the light coming out of her smile is incredible. So she is someone who emotes so much from her face that I'm worried for her because I hope she mm -hmm. wears the smile when she's walking around camp and not the scary face that she's putting forth in her individual photo. Because I do think that she, that background that she comes from, that her backstory, which is incredible, if she can't maintain that part of her i think she's she might have some michaela issues bubbling in the in the <laughs> in the background i re, i mean I, michaela was great but michaela couldn't put herself aside in the first in in my season with michaela mm -hmm. she was very um out there very aggressive very in the moment very present and had a presence and this and missy has a presence and i don't know if she's going to be able to put that aside i hope she does but i i just don't yeah. know i feel like she will what i'm more worried about is she said she's keeping her backstory to herself until final three which is smart but you know i i i worry because jeff probe said some people might underestimate her in the beginning thinking she's just a kid and they won't know what she's been going through so she's going to need to find a way to communicate that without telling her whole story and mm. i i just feel like she'll end up telling at least part of her story sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, how do you not at least give some of yourself away to these right. people? And that's right. so much of who she is. I, it, it's, I think it's potentially going to be hard for her. Yeah. So, you know, she plans to rely mostly on her social game in the early going. Uh, she's another one who's specifically not trying to put herself out there for challenges uh, because she's so tall and towers over people and doesn't want to be seen as a threat which is fine, but she you know, needs to make herself useful in case of a challenge loss because mm -hmm. looking around at some of the rest of the tribe, there, there aren't many slouches here. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. So I, I like her a lot, but I just worry that being the youngest person on her tribe will end up getting her voted out pre-merge. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I have concerns for her pre-merge as well, just because there's, there's so much there that could work against her. And if she's, if she's not able to combat those things, like you said, her, her young age and then also not sharing that backstory. And if she's, if she's too reserved and, and holding back the abilities that she has and challenges, all of that could potentially cause her downfall. And then on top of it, if she's too aggressive in her presence and how she speaks to people, she, yeah, I think she's, I, I think she's going to have a really hard time making the merge. All right. Uh, so the next player is Ronnie Barda. He's 35. He's a professional poker player who lives in Nevada, and he is the only member of this cast I had ever heard of before. Uh, he has an interesting backstory leading all the way up to being one of a very few professional poker players who's never gone broke. Because almost every professional poker player will say, yeah, I've been broke X number of times, mm -hmm. but then I you know, clawed my way back up. So that says a lot about his maturity and character, I think. And he also understands that you can sometimes do everything perfectly and still lose, whether it's poker or survivor, though I would note that it's rare to see someone do everything perfectly on survivor. 
Yeah. Well, this is what I love. Jeff said, I don't know if he's open to talking to me or if he's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> so I, I think yeah. that I think that Ronnie might have a little bit of a hard time again how he presents himself to people. I, and I I think with the poker mindset, he could do great things strategizing. But again, the way that he presents himself, he might end up having some some issues there. If that's how if that's how he presented himself to Jeff Probst. Yeah, I also worry a little bit about Ronnie's first impressions, uh, because, you know, that was also something that he could give a first impression of just studying someone rather Mm -hmm. than opening up immediately. And, you know, even if you're not going to get punched in the face, you still don't want to be studied. Um, So it it will be interesting to see how he addresses that. Um, Jeff Probst has high hopes for Ronnie, and I share some of those hopes. He's a little more prepared for the physical aspect because he's gone through a starvation type of diet before on purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, he may be better in the social aspect than some of the previous poker players because he, he was described as a surprisingly empathic guy. And, and, you know, so despite how many of the previous poker players haven't done great, I think he has a good shot. Yeah. I think he does have a good shot because I, I do think that, the social game that he'll be able to build upon with his ability to read people will be beneficial to him, but his downfall could come from how other people read him. So again, it's it's those first few days that are going to matter for Ronnie. And if he's able to combat any initial thoughts of him, like he's going to punch me in the face. (laughs) I think, I think he, I think he'll do well. I do think he will do well. Yeah. So we can move on to someone who has punched people in the face. And that is uh, Tom Laidlaw, who is 60 and a former uh, hockey player. Uh, He's originally from Canada and is the first Canadian on Survivor. Uh, He lives in Connecticut now. So how much of a Canadian is he really? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I'd say he has pluses and minuses. He's the oldest player of the season, but he's definitely in shape. Yeah. He watched a lot of seasons early, but not recently. So. You know, uh, Jeff Probst said the biggest worry is how he'll do with the rest of the tribe in terms of not just telling them all what to do or going off and doing it himself his way. Because uh, sometimes that kind of bossiness from the old guy is all it takes to make him target number one. Yes, which I'm so worried for him because I really appreciate so much about him. I love that his pet peeve is people driving slow in the fast lane. I just actually yes. tweeted about that not too long ago. And Aaron yeah. said the same thing, I believe. But what I really appreciate about him is how he grew up. He grew up on a dairy farm. I grew up on a dairy farm. And when he says it was the true grit lifestyle, I totally understand 100% what he's talking about. And that lifestyle really changes you and creates this desire in you to work so much harder and push yourself so much more because you can actually see your hard work in front of you because you are the one taking care of the farm and it's, it's 24 seven, all you, you don't get a break. You don't get holidays. You don't get a vacation. And so it really does change how you look at life and how you approach life. And my Lord, when he talks about his existence, getting up at three thirty every day, so he can go on a two and a half mile hike and then work out for like an hour. And that, I mean, it's just wow. So I really do hope that that is what resonates with people is is how hard he works and that he won't take on that 
dad role telling people what to do. I really hope he can avoid that because I like him so much. Yeah. I do think if he makes it past the opening days, at least I like that he recognizes Survivor is a game just like hockey. And he said, if you have to hurt someone to win, so be it. Uh, now, he probably won't be checking anyone into the board. So, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, who knows what kind of challenge they'll have. Uh, but he seems to understand that you have to do what you have to do. The problem is, I think the others are going to do it to him before he can do it to them. I, I don't think he'll be the first one out, but he could well be the second. Oh, see, I think he's going to I have faith in him that he's going to last and last and last. <laughs> I'm hoping he's the energizer bunny. huh? Well, no, see, this is this is what I, I hope. And again, I have no idea, but I do think that he could he could absolutely fall into that into that role. But we've also seen older gentlemen do really, really well in Survivor. Because they are able to take the fact that they are mature and, well, you know, they, they've lived a full life and they've got experience and they use that to their benefit. So I'm hoping that that's the angle that he's able to play is that his with his age comes experience and there's some honor in that. And I know that there were a couple of survivors that were already eyeballing him as a potential ally because no one would expect it. So there might even be some ability to him to ability for him to get deeper in the game because other people see him as an asset yeah yeah so like i said i don't see him as the first one out which brings the question of who do i think is the first one out of this tribe and that brings us to the final contestant on this tribe vince mawa i'm gonna go with uh he's he's 27 this is why we usually just use first names uh he's an admissions counselor in California. And, you know, I, I am afraid it will be him. And I say I'm afraid because I like him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's another Survivor and podcast fan, and he wants to go old school where you create bonds with people. You know, he, he's not afraid to throw someone under the bus if he needs to, but he plans to play under the radar as a nice guy while secretly manipulating everything in the background. But one thing that Jeff discussed about Vince is he has two distinct personas a homeboy and an upstanding college admissions counselor. And Vince said he plans to be the homeboy version to the players, but the real version to the cameras. And that's just a lot of work. Yeah. And I honestly, when Jeff said that, I remembered listening to his interview with Josh Wiggler and you can actually hear it in his voice, how quickly it it changes from one persona to the next, like the homeboy Vince from the 209 he was mentioning. and. And I do think that that if he does that, it could wear on people. If he ends up kind of putting forth these two personas, if he's able to split them up and they only see one, okay. But that's a very tricky dynamic to pull off out there. If you're trying to be two different people or if you are two different people, you you won't be able to keep that housed for too long. And I, I agree. I think that as far as potential first one outs on this tribe, Vince is my is my pick for that. Yeah, I mean, because another thing that contributes to that is Jeff said Vince is, quote, just peculiar to be around. And that's never a good thing in the opening days of Survivor. Yeah. Uh, You know, and and Jeff even said, I hope Vince isn't first out. Same here, but I worry that he will be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. So we've come to the end of that tribe. And, well, I've already said where I'm going to go with my prediction because uh, 
yeah, I'm most worried about Vince as potentially being the first one out with Tom as you know potentially the second. I am most worried about Vince being the first one out. Absolutely. And like I said, I have concerns with Dean and Missy, but I think as far as first one out, it's it's Vince, in my opinion, if that matters. <laughs> yeah, well, of course it matters. All matters right. As much as my opinion here. <laughs> so uh, before we go on and talk about the Vokai tribe, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. If there's one in your area, if not, we'll be back even quicker. And we're back. So let's go on to the Vokai tribe. Uh, we begin, well, we begin with Dan, and I'll hand it over to you. Yes, so Dan Spilo, if I'm saying his name correctly, he is 48. He is from originally New York City, now lives in Los Angeles, and he is a talent manager. He's produced quite a bit of movies, including Treehouse Time Machine, which I thought was <laughs> rather intriguing. Oh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. But he does think that he's hardworking, articulate, and charming. And I do think that Dan has a very interesting approach to the game. I loved his methodology of just being the largest group because he said yes. there are times that, you know, six people are here and three people are there and the six people look at each other and go, okay. So I think that's a very interesting strategy because it's not something that you hear a lot of people really acknowledge that sometimes it just matters where you're sitting, but it really does. So I thought that was a great way to look at it. Uh, I do have some concerns for Dan uh, because I do think that he has a very strong personality. I love his voice, by the way. He is like, I want him to read me books. He has a great voice. He really does. I, I think he has a great, a great voice. But yeah, I think that he, he could be in, in a, a bit of an, uh, a difficult situation if he doesn't control himself. And I think some of the snippets that we saw from the very brief videos that they showed of the first couple of days indicate that. Uh, there was one quick snippet where Jamal was rolling his eyes as Dan was kind of holding court and talking to people. There was another quick snippet where Dan like threw something at Jack and like actually threw it at him, didn't like just toss it to him and then laughed about it. And then there's another snippet where Janet looks like she's fighting with him. And again, who knows if that actually means anything, but I just saw that and I thought mm, he might, he might have a hard time with his personality because it's a very strong personality. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, there's also something that I don't like about his strategy coming into it. I mean, I do like the majority thing, you know, because really it doesn't matter if you're a shelter person or a beach person. It just matters that you're a majority person. But, right. you know, he he hopes nothing happens right out of the gate for him and that he can never talk strategy unless it's being talked to him. And he says he'll talk to people who come to him, but he doesn't want to initiate strategy talk for as much as 12 days. Yeah. which is insane. You know, my, my first rule discusses how you need to get up to speed on strategic discussions the moment you hit the beach. As I mentioned, when we were talking about Aaron. You, I mean, you obviously don't want to be seen as overly skinny, but if you wait for people to come to you, you're going to still be waiting while Jeff snuffs your torch. Yeah, and even if your thought process is always being the bigger group, that bigger group is going to be strategizing. They're going to be talking about mm -hmm. how they want to move forward. You have to be involved in those talks. But he did have a lot of day goals. It seemed like, you know, the nine days was he wanted to be in some group for nine days. I mean, then the 12 days of strategizing, there's way too many days that he survivor is a day by day thing. I really do think. And there are large moments that you want to achieve and things that you want to get to. 
but you have to play every single day as if it's potentially your last day on that island. And so to try to set yourself for these particular goals on a daily, I don't know. I don't even know how is, you know, quantification is working with the nine and the 12 and the, it's, it's too, it's too much. It's, it's not going to, it's just not going to work for him. It's really not. You really have to play it day by day. Yeah. And you know, like I said, he has those, he has bad ideas and he has good ideas. And yeah. I think, um, you know, some of the good ideas, you know, not bringing up anyone's specific name or pointing the finger. That's good. You always let someone say a name to you mm -hmm. so it doesn't get back to them. He thinks his job has made him well suited to the game because he has to balance so many different types of people. And that's, you know, possibly good also. Uh, but, you know, if he's going to avoid strategizing, that may not be of any great use to him. Now, if he does overcome this, I do think he has a shot because some of his answers to questions indicate that he understands this is a game and should be played as such. Um, and, you know, even Jeff Probst says Dan has the mind to play this game, but he also worries because Dan talks in a way that makes him think Dan is too good at reading people, which can be scary if you're on the, you know, receiving end of that. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, like you, I'm a little worried about Dan early on. I, I just think. Even if he's sticking with those groups, like you said, I, I can't see how you avoid the scheming. Yeah. Uh, so. And if he's rubbing people the wrong way right off the, mm -hmm. you know, right out of the gate, people spend the first couple of days looking for any reason to vote somebody out. And if you can right. have a group consensus as to why somebody should get voted out, that's what people will just say. Okay. You know, and if it's, this person is annoying or this person is bossy or this person is frustrating or whatever, you know, this person's looking for an idol, whatever the consensus is that could cause your demise. And so you won't even get past day one because you're too worried about what's going to happen on day nine. I've, I'm very worried for him because I do think that he's going to rub people the wrong way without even necessarily realizing he's doing it because that's who he is. Yeah. Now, if, I, I don't want to move on until I talk about one more thing, because if he makes it to the end game, he said something about basically that getting to final three is winning and he seems okay with someone else beating him at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, Since I discussed earlier, my reiteration that people should play to win, you can pretty well imagine my thoughts on this. Yeah. So to be clear, he's not going to be my winner pick. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Jack. Niching, if I'm saying that correctly, age 23. His hometown is Newport News, Virginia, which is crazy that it's Newport News. And he still lives in Virginia. He's a graduate student. And he uh, I like that his inspiration is his mom uh, for overcoming traumatic life events. She picked up and moved abroad to pursue a new job. He calls her the definition of a goat, which I thought was great. And I do think that he's an interesting character because he was actually brought as an alternate last year for last season so he's been in the mix he's one of those people that's been in the mix with cbs so clearly there's something that they've seen in him he wants to climb some coconut trees which mm -hmm. uh, i think is also very jay like from my season but he's got that surfer dude kind of persona about him which we've seen multiple times and sometimes it's great and then sometimes it doesn't go very well. So I have him kind of in, you know, I, I think he's going to do fine, but I don't I don't see him making it to the end. But I think he'll I think he'll do all right. 
yeah, I don't, I don't want to classify him as the Joey Amazing type just because of his hair. But then, like you said, he talked about wanting to climb a coconut tree and make fire and go spear fishing, and mm-hmm. so that you know that worry is there. Now he did say that he's much more social and doesn't want to take on the provider role, so that's one difference. But I'm worried from the get go, and you know that worry continues because he said he would struggle with what lines he would or wouldn't cross in the game. He wants to be direct and straightforward, and but you know that just often doesn't work. One can be straightforward, but the other player may be backstabbing, and that's the end of that. Yeah, you know, and he admitted that to Mike Bloom. Uh, you know, he said it could slap me in the face, but truthfulness right away is the best way to do it. No, no, I don't think so. Well, and I do think, though, there could be a balance for him. Even if he's truthful, if he's doing well in challenges and is providing, people will likely want to keep him around just for the mere fact that, well, if he's feeding me, that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And if if I don't really need to worry about where his head's at because he's telling me where it's at, well, that's great, too, because he's not secretly scheming and strategizing. Sometimes it's nice to hear honesty from people when you're out there because then you don't have to worry about what he's up to so it could potentially work to other people's benefits because if he's doing well in challenges feeding them and not scheming and strategizing and if he's a likable guy well then he can he can spend some time with them so they can utilize him as a vote and also as a provider yeah now the interesting thing is he said he wants to be straightforward but then he practiced lying to various people i know which was So. so weird it's like you you want to be straightforward, but you also lie. Anyway, now, <laughs> the, the thing is, Jack is the youngest on this tribe by three years. Yeah. And maybe more importantly than that, he's still in school. I mean, it's grad school, but he doesn't have the real life experience that the rest of the tribe has. Mm-hmm. And he has a very freewheeling attitude about life in general. So I, I don't necessarily think he'll be an immediate boot, but it could be fairly quickly, especially if he isn't needed in challenges because they have a lot of other strong people. Um, I, I do think his looks will probably save him from being the first one out. Yeah, and I, I do think that if he doesn't come across as threatening, I think he I think he can hang in there for a while just because he won't be someone that people will be concerned with if he's mm-hmm. if he's not seen as threatening. And I do think in this group, there's a lot of people who are going to have very big targets on them. And I don't think he's one of them. So All next right. we have Jamal Shipman, who is 33. And he is from Jersey City, New Jersey. He currently lives in Rhode Island, and he is an admissions counselor for kindergarten okay. through. Let me grade. just stop you here. He's he lives in Rhode Island. That's like three people on this cast who live in Rhode Island. <laughs> I was like, what Rhode did I do Island, wrong? <laughs> no, it's like Rhode Island is so small. How did they get three cast members from Rhode Island? Did they do a census of everyone who lives there? That is pretty funny that they do have three from Rhode Island. Yeah. Well, it, there seems to be a lot of people from the East Coast. I feel like. Oh, yeah, there are. Yeah. So that's nice. That's a good change up. I like that. No, no, no. They need more people from the heartland. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, well, maybe maybe next season. Oh, wait. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see. So Jamal, he uh, coaches basketball. He doesn't like bugs. And he let's see. What's a good thing about him? Uh, he says he's balanced, inquisitive and present. And I do think that he's someone who uh, describes himself as adaptable. And I think that that's a great thing to hear. He also talked about his ability to be flexible, which is another one of our rules. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going to do very well in adjusting for what other people want. And it's 
it's interesting because he wants to focus on the we aspect of things and not necessarily what he wants, but what other people will want and turn it into kind of a group thing, but kind of get it from them, if that makes sense. Like a Dom and Wendell, he he described it as it is everything's going to be like a group, but he wants it more coming from the other person. Feel where they're coming from, get the vibe from them and what they want needs to know what they are interested in before making a decision, which I think is great because he'll make other people feel like they're kind of leading the charge. He'll be part of it too. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Probst described him as having a big presence, but a much softer energy. And he added that he could see Jamal being in an alliance with women or with guys who were in touch with their softer side and weren't all bravado. And I think he's a good, great storyteller. His own personal story is really interesting. That was all what Jeff said. All of those things speak well to Jamal's chances, I think, as do his statements about how he interacts with people. Mm -hmm. He knows he can look imposing like a big jock, but he's a counselor by nature and he can put people at ease, which tells me they won't just see him as the the strong guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he he told Mike Bloom what you said about making sure it's in their best interest. and, And that is a very astute observation. But what's even more astute is he's watched a lot of Survivor and broken it down to analyze. He Mm -hmm. knows you have to look at each situation. He talks about flipping from the majority to the minority in order to make that minority into the majority. Yep. You know, he's, he's looked at these situations into those, into past personalities and scenarios. Uh, you know, what caused some people to win and some to lose. And hmm, where would he have gotten information like that? Anyway, uh, (laughs) he, he, uh, he knows that there can't be a moral line like honor and, you know, he has this interesting quote to Mike saying the game of survivor is whatever we decide it to be. Who deemed you God of how survivor is meant to be played. And I believe that's meant to be aimed at other players who are trying to push a certain viewpoint about morals or honesty. But I just want to make it clear. We do in fact judge how survivor is meant to be played and we will continue (laughs) to do so. Yes, we will. But he also said, I want to play to win. So yes. there you go. So he's someone who's playing to win. I, yeah. I am very excited for Jamal. And I also love his voice, too. I think he should also read me books. So I'm yeah. just putting that out there. The two of them together, they can, uh, Dan and Jamal can read me books anyway. Yeah. Now, he, he did say some other things in his interview that I'm 100% on board with. Uh, for example, when asked if he would be vote based on strength or loyalty, he said, it's got to be loyalty. I just think the concept of strength is ridiculous. What does that even mean? There are a whole group of challenges that I would be terrible at, but people look at me and they're going to be like, oh, we've got to keep Jamal because we've got to keep the tribe strong. Mm-hmm. What if it's holding onto a pole, swimming or throwing your tribe over a 20 foot structure? That's not going to be me. So my tribe isn't strong for that challenge. And this is something, you know, we've said many times over. What does it mean to be strong? Right. You may be a strong swimmer, but if it's not a water challenge, you may be useless. You may have muscles on top of muscles, but if it's a swimming challenge, you're just going to sink. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Every, and that's why I say survivor is a day by day game. You have to play every day because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so you do have to look at what's happening each day. Now, if you have someone who's not performing well in any challenges, well, then clearly that's something that should be taken into consideration. But again, it's going to depend on the challenge and the person and they could thrive in one environment and sink in another. So Mm -hmm. I do think that he's very aware of the game of survivor and the change that survivor has presented in these last, I don't even know where we would want to start with that being (laughs) 
such a different game than it was early on, you know, the old school versus new school survivor. Mm -hmm. And he's very aware of that. And I think he's, he's studied it enough. And I think he's going to present himself in a, in a great way when he's out there. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to say again that he is a, uh, you know, I, I really like him. I see him as a threat to win. Uh, he has to make it past that point around the merge when the big threats are typically voted out. But I think mm-hmm. he can do it because of his personality and because there are other big threats out there. So it's not like he'll be the only one. Right. I agree. All right. Next, we have Janet Carbon, who is 59. She's from Neptune, New Jersey, and she currently lives in Palm Bay, Florida. She's a chief lifeguard. And Jeff describes her as pretty hardcore. And I would agree that she's pretty hardcore. She's the oldest woman to play in the past 22 seasons, and she is one of the only uh, chief lifeguards who is a woman in the country, which is incredible. And she's also very aware of her being a stereotypical first boot material. So she plans to be extra careful with her social interactions. So she is she is astutely aware of how she is going to be seen and but also she does uh, describe herself as aggressive enthusiastic and vivacious and she just seems like she's a she's a badass 59 year old woman who i hangs out with 17 year olds for her job and i think she's she's got the ability to hold her own but i'm worried because she is still a 59 year old woman and the first challenge doesn't appear to be a water challenge so i don't know if that's going to have some negative impact on her in those first few days. Yeah. I mean, she knows that she's the oldest woman out there, but then she also, you know, she told Mike Bloom or Mike Bloom asked about how she thinks people would perceive her. And she thinks they'll see her as someone, not her age as a competitor and a strong woman. And Jeff, but Jeff Prope said she doesn't care about how she looks. She doesn't care about what you think about her. She's just, I'm me. This is what I do. People seem to like me. It's been doing okay. And that worries me because you have to think about how other players perceive you. Right. And I know, I know she said she'll try to tone down and not be that, you know, that stereotype. But, you know, there are those perceptions directed often at the oldest woman on the tribe and they're not good ones, like it or not. Mm-hmm. It's very you know? unfortunate for sure. Right. And so, not only, like you said, will there not be a swimming challenge first, there's also no marooning. Yeah, right. So where is she going to show off those skills? Yeah, yep. And I think that if she could combat that, I mean, she's, I do think that she could do it very well. But like you said, she's made it clear. She doesn't care what people think about her. So I don't know if she's going to keep that part of her in a box either, where she's going to necessarily control that component of her. Clearly, she's a boss in the, the position that she has, and she's in charge of a lot of people. And it doesn't sound like she's really going to set any of that aside, that this is who she is. People have always liked her. It's always worked. That's what she's going to do. This is Survivor. It might not work. And that's, yeah. you know, again, it's that self-awareness that I think she might be lacking, that other people are going to be looking at her and judging her because that's what everybody's going to be doing with everybody who's out there. So I'm worried for her. She's incredibly impressive. No doubt. I just don't know if she's going to have a chance to really show them how impressive she is. Yeah. I mean, she said in in some bit of self-awareness, she said she won't take a leadership position unless she's forced to, but I worry about that. Her idea being forced into that position and my idea are two different things. Yeah. 
And I think she will take that role. And I think it can be a death blow to her game when, when combined with her status as the oldest woman. And what I mean by that is, what does it mean to be forced into a leadership position? Does it mean, you know, you are seeing your tribe build a shelter wrong, so you're forced to step up and tell them that right. they're doing it mm-hmm. wrong? Or does someone say, hey, we need someone to be the leader. Janet, you're the one. Tell us what to do. Right. You know, those are two different things, and I worry about the first one. Yeah, I do too. Uh, so, you know, she does at least note that she'll do whatever she has to to win the game, and strategy is more important uh, because strategy is how you're going to win, which is good. But I, I just think there's a lot stacked against her, and we'll have to see if she can overcome it. Yep, I agree. Next, we have Jason Linden, who is 32 from New York City, another personal injury lawyer, which he will not reveal he is. I believe he yes. is adopting his wife's job as a cover story. He is going to follow the shut the heck up strategy, which I think is hysterical. Heck, he, uh-huh. Shut yeah, the heck up. I, uh-huh. I went with heck. I, I, I didn't. I didn't use the other word. Just shut the yes. heck up strategy. And he does feel that he needs to restrain himself from taking charge or calling out the plays. I do love what Jeff Prope said about him. Every time I'm around him, I feel very heard. I feel like he gets mm-hmm. me. He's very disarming, but I think he's a killer. So it's he's he's definitely got a lot of good there. And I really would love him to do well. but. I'm concerned for him because he's even worried about how people will perceive him. And maybe because he has a self-awareness that that will help him do well. But he is so worried about how he can be perceived that it might end up working against him. And people might just I mean, he even said it, that if they knew exactly who I was and what I did, I'm first boot material number one. Like he knows (laughs) this about himself. So maybe because he's aware of it, it will work to his benefit. But I've I've got some some concerns for Jason. Yeah. You know, he may be the super fan this season who's the most active on social media because he said he's active on the Reddit boards for Survivor. And he was also uh, already following me on Twitter. So good for you, Jason. You know, he's he's also compared himself to a lot of people we know, saying he looks like Rob Sesternino, had a similar upbringing to Adam Klein, has the nerdiness and anxiety like Stephen Fishback. And, uh, you know, adding that it's yet to be seen if he can break a stick like Stephen, you know, he knows that he needs to get people to trust him. And but. So you mentioned that he's adopting his wife's job, which, by the way, is hysterical. A manager for an umbrella manufacturing company. Yes, which I, her family owns. So yeah, yeah. right, but I—I I mean, it never occurred to me that there are umbrella manufacturing companies. I mean, right? obviously they need to be made, but it just sounds like something made up. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he—he he says that he's there to win. If I hurt somebody's feelings, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry for what I did. I think that's the way the game should be played. So good for him. Uh, you know, and and he wants people to give him information. So, you know, that that all's good, too. I also really like his strategy because although he quotes Tyson, it's the same thing we talk about. Mm-hmm. Survivor isn't about big moves. It's about lots of small moves. Yep. Uh, though Tyson apparently added in one big move to get attention than playing defense. So you have to make that big move late. 
And that also makes sense because you want the jury to remember the big move and no one's going to remember something that happened pre-merge. It always, you know, we've talked about this before. The person who, you know, two votes in are like, I'm going to make my big move. Yeah, no one's going to remember that. You're just going to light your game on fire. Mm -hmm. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Yeah. He does also say that he talks a little too much at times and um, he can get snappy with people at times. So. I just I and, I and his wife was very uh, honest before he went out and he talked about how she explained this to him, that he might have some difficulty right off the bat. And that's where they came up with the shot the heck up strategy. So I I do hope that he can maintain that part of himself. But again, I and I, I, I don't it's he's such a mixed bag. Like, I don't know which way it will go for him for the. The fact that he that Jeff said what he said about him makes me believe that he's a really great listener and really shows that he is genuinely concerned or into the person that he's talking with. And with his line of work, he has to be, you know, he definitely has to have that component to him. So I hope that that's what comes across and not the snappy talking too much, being too much in people's faces. You know, he could really go either way. Yeah, I, I think if he follows the rules he set up for himself, which are fairly close to my rules, he'll have a good shot. All right. Very nice. Next, we have Kelly Kim, who is 29. She is from Costa Mesa, California. I probably said that incorrectly. She is currently living in Philadelphia as an MBA student. So Jeff had a very interesting read on her where she kind of gives off, if you don't want to come to me, I guess we're not going to work together. So she sounds like she's a little standoffish, even Mm -hmm. though she describes herself as fun, energetic and driven, but it doesn't sound like she's very inviting. She is uh, a fan with starting with millennials versus Gen X. And she is not the first one I should add that that's where they became a fan from. So she's obviously not or hasn't been watching survivor that long. She did go back, got addicted and started to watch uh, like a whole bunch of seasons. Adam is a friend of a friend. I love which Adam. Makes, so which makes you a friend of a friend of a friend. Right. So it's like six degrees to Kevin Bacon kind of game that we're playing. Yeah. I think she's the second person that's mentioned Adam. So Adam seems to know a lot of people who are getting on <laughs> survivor, something strange happening there. Uh, but I do think that she might have a hard time in those initial social interactions because if she doesn't have an inviting personality about her, it might be hard for her to get into that group and find people who want to work with her. If she has a standoffishness about her, if you will. Yeah. So like you said, she went back and rewatched and, you know, she's seen uh, your season a second time, at least in, in context. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that, uh, and she also said she's listened to podcasts. So I do think she would, uh, be listening to a podcast with the person from the season she started with. So, hello, Kelly. And, Hi, Kelly. Uh, you know, don't let what I'm about to say upset you because it's just us making predictions based on the little information we have. Mm-hmm. So, and then I just agree completely with what you said because that that whole thing of if if you don't come to me, I'm not coming to you. It is just a death blow in the early part of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to put yourself out there. And And people are, that's what people are doing. People are interacting. People are forming groups. 
people are forming alliances right off the bat. So you have mm-hmm. to be approachable and you have to be approaching people. If you don't approach people, who's to say anyone's going to approach you? If you seem standoffish, it's going to potentially bode very badly for you in the beginning. Right. Right. Now, you know, she does know that she's maybe a little, you know, comes off as a little too smart and she needs to, she's one of the people who are talking about needing to dumb herself down. She knows that she likes to be loud and dominate social situations. The problem is it's hard to undo all those parts of yourself and only a few have really succeeded. And it also conflicts with what she told Mike Bloom about how she, she, she's going to try to be as honest as possible. So I am worried for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She probably won't be first one out, but she could be out first if she can't rein in some of her attributes and, you know, she needs to let out certain attributes to make more alliances. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Next up, we have Lauren Beck, who is 28. Her hometown is Bakersfield, California and Rochester Hills, Michigan. She currently lives in Glendale, California as a nanny for uh, a former Nirvana person, I will add. So that's oh, pretty. I didn't know that part. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Right. And I'm going to start with this. I'm so jealous of her picture. Her gorgeous cast photo is like straight out of a photo shoot. I am so jealous because if people remember mine, I was dirty and eating corn. So I'm just going to throw that yeah, out Your there. season did not have good uh, uh, cast photos. No. I remember Lucy's. Lucy's was the worst cast photo ever. It was horrifying. All of They were all horrifying. We were all filthy, dirty. Like, I don't even We were making weird faces. Like, I, I awful. Just awful. So I'm so jealous of her gorgeous picture. Just putting that out there. But... She is also someone who describes herself as bubbly, uh, adaptable, and diligent. She had an interesting interaction with Jeff Probst. She is the first person that Jeff Probst ever ended up deciding was going to be on the show just by like seeing her prior to even watching her video of herself. I mean, is the minute he saw her, he said, oh my God, she's going to be on the show. That's what he thought as soon as... He- as soon as he saw her. So clearly she has a presence about her that comes across really well. She says tenacity is her middle name. And um, she's just incredibly likable. She says she can't stop smiling. She's so excited to be here. She's got a lot of things going for her as far as a social component, I think, in this game where she's she's going to be likable. I think people will enjoy being around her. And that I think will help her greatly in this game just because she clearly has a presence that I think people will see. And I think it's a good presence and I think it's something that people can kind of get behind and want to support, but she's also willing to cut you if she needs to, like she's willing to take you out. Even if you're in her, in her Alliance or you're her number two, if you're going to beat her, she's willing to make a move on you. So I think that's great too. She clearly knows the game has been watching it and really wants to, lean on people if she needs to, but she's also, she knows when to cut those people if she needs to as well. Yeah. Like you said, she's been watching uh, since she was 11 and she's always wanted to play. And Jeff Probst says she knows exactly how to play. Although sometimes we disagree with Jeff Probst about Mm -hmm. how to play. Uh, But you know, so she, she also said she's learned from watching Sandra and maybe she'll get to learn more up close and personal with Sandra. Who knows? That's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And so she also added there are no moral lines because it's a game and she won't put restrictions on herself. She's playing to win. 
And that includes finding idols for her. As much as it still somewhat pains me, the fact is that finding and correctly playing idols has become a big part of the game, which is why I elevated that to the rules a couple years ago. And Lauren says she has to find an idol in the first three days, and she's going to be looking for advantages on the boat. Well, boy, is she going to be surprised on both fronts. (laughs) I'm not sure there will be uh, idols hidden uh, at camp right away, and we know there's not going to be a boat. Yeah. But she's got a plan. Like I said, you can go out there with a plan, and guess what? It all just falls to shit real quick. (laughs) Just be ready. What happened to heck? Falls to heck. I know. That was a different Uh, word. Oh, okay. Um, Now, with this aggressive play, Jeff Probst thinks she's a good candidate to win, although, like we said, he he said that about a lot of people. Right now, though, I can't disagree. I I do worry she might be a little too aggressive. It it wouldn't surprise me at all if we say she schemed and plotted too much when when we talk about why Lauren lost, if we talk about that question is when it will happen i think she'll be around for a while oh i agree i think she's going to make it very very far because she's she's very in tune with what she needs to do and i think she's going to be able to do it in a manner that is socially going to just be so good for her because people are going to like her they're going to want to be around her and i i think that the vibe that she's going to give off while she's out there is going to be one that's just going to help her make it further and further and further. Just like we saw Sari do so many times (laughs) where she's just so likable and her social game, I think is going to be on point. All right. So next, are you still there? Did I lose you? Okay. Just wanted to make sure we had a little bit of a technical issue earlier. So I just wanted to make sure we're all good. (laughs) All right. Good. So next we have Molly Byman, who is 27. Her hometown is Boston and she currently lives in Durham, North Carolina. And she is a law student wanting to be a prosecutor. Thank you very much, Molly. Uh, Love that to hear that. Change now. Just do it now. I love that that's what she's focusing on. Not very many people go into law school saying, I want to be a prosecutor. And the fact that that's what she wants to do, I think, speaks volumes about her character. So good for that. (laughs) Um, I also do like that Jeff said that she was the first one they committed to and they committed to her very early, which I think speaks volumes of how she presents herself. I think she's going to present herself very well. Uh, She was a teacher for a long time. So she's been through a lot of dealing with students and getting a lot of mental strength in, in how she was creating um, relationships with those students. She has some very interesting stories about how she had to help students learn and things that like one would parkour over her head, which I thought was incredible, but that taught her a lot about what she's capable of in, in forming those relationships and figuring out what people need. And I think that that's something that she's going to, to do well when she's out there, she talked about being adaptable and flexible. And I really do think that she is going to have the ability to hide the fact that she is so well-spoken and analytical because she's going to talk about being a teacher and not a law student. And I think that she will be carefully cautious, which I appreciate. She's there to win the game. She's not there to make great TV, which I also appreciate. I think Molly is someone who's going to be under the radar for a very long time and do very well because she's not someone who has a huge presence about her that will draw her into the limelight, but people will still gravitate towards her. And I think she'll be involved in, in significant relationships that are being formed. Yeah. Molly's another one who's wanted to play survivor since she was a kid, 10 years old. And, uh, you know, Jeff Probst said that, 
She has survivor whiteboards mm-hmm. at her house with strategy lines connecting this player to that player. Now, that's now this is coming from me, and I'm about to say this. That's obsessive levels of survivor yeah. fandom there, Molly. Um, I mean, I, I admire it, but uh, I hope you keep that to yourself on the show. Now, there is one thing that I worry about with her because she told Mike Bloom that uh, it says people have a right to privacy. So the line that she draws is she won't go through someone's bag or intrude on someone's privacy, you know, or privacy to work with someone else, but she will eavesdrop and shadow people. So apparently they have something of a right to privacy, but not a full right to privacy. The bag thing probably won't be an issue, but letting people have the privacy to work against you could bite you. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that comes into play at all or what else may happen there. Yeah. I mean, I think with the bag thing, I kind of understand it because when you're out there and you're playing the game. There's a very strange sensation that comes over you when you want to look in somebody's bag because it it does really feel like a violation because it is like your bag becomes very important when you're out there because it's the only thing you actually have. So you're very mindful of where it is, who's near it, what did you put in it? I mean, there's all of these things like seriously, your bag is is very significant. So I understand having that kind of uh, cutoff point if you will like i'm not going to go through someone's bag just because i feel like it's it's a little it's a little too personal but again sometimes you have to do that in this game and some people are willing to play a little more dirty than others and if you're not willing to play that dirty well then it might backfire on you so that will be an interesting component to see how that all plays out if it even becomes an issue I mean, what if she got a search warrant? Would that be okay? <laughs> see, this is the prosecutor in her coming out. Yes, see, exactly. I love it. She doesn't want to yeah. violate people's Fourth Amendment rights. Thank you very much, Molly. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, Molly says she's geared towards strategy, but also wants to have social and strategic conversations with every person. Do more watching than talking. Uh, you know, so that that's all good. And Jeff thinks she's a threat to win. I hope he's right, but I, I'm not quite seeing what he saw. Well, I'm seeing it. And let me tell you, I love her beach hair, too. So I think she's going to have some fun out there. All right. Jealous of the beach hair. (laughs) Next, we have Nora Salmon, who is 36. And she's from London, I think, or Bethesda, Maryland. She's now living in North Potomac, Maryland. Potomac? Am I saying that correctly? Potomac. Potomac. Thank you very much. Um. And she is an entrepreneur. I always think it's interesting when people describe themselves as entrepreneurs. (laughs) Anyway, she describes herself as ambitious, passionate, and energetic. Jeff says she has the kind of personality that could be too much for somebody. And you have to read the room in those early moments. So I fully agree with what Jeff said. Mm -hmm. Listening to her Josh Wiggler interview, I had to stop, honestly, because I I couldn't do it. She was so much, so fast, a lot. And I I, I couldn't. That's exactly. You know what my notes say? She talked a lot, like a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah, I have it in big letters. And I, oh my God, I can't. I, I, I had to stop. She has done some incredible things in her life and has accomplished amazing feats but there's so much and it it was just one thing spun into the next spun into the next spun into the next and she even described herself as like a record at one point and i was like yeah that's exactly what you are so i do i do think 
she's going to have some serious issues socially out there because she, if she comes across so strong when she's interacting with people that it's going to be too much for people out there. They're just not going to be able to handle it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that the entrepreneur aspect of her is that she's doing something, a big health and wellness advocate. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that too often the so-called health and wellness advocate entrepreneurs are associated with, well, there's no way, nice way to say it, BS. Mm. And, you know, I'm hoping that's not her, but she, she didn't really talk about, so it's hard to say, but she talked about, oh, I tried these, all these different diets. And I mean, if you're trying a whole bunch of different diets and advocating that to people, you know, then we start to look at this and say, okay, what are you really, what are you really doing here? Mm -hmm. But, you know, in addition to listening to her interview with Josh, I read the interview with Mike Bloom and I came away not having the foggiest idea what she will be like as a player. Yeah. Right. You know, she indicates she wants to play socially and be likable, which, okay, that's fairly obvious. But otherwise, she said a, a lot of touchy feely stuff that just kind of evaporated into smoke when I thought about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, none of what almost none or at least nothing that stuck with me that she talked to Josh was game. And so if, if there's even a hint of that person on the beach, she's going to annoy the heck out of her tribe mates. Yeah. Uh, you know, I. I I can't get a good read on her. I, I just don't think she'll last very long. Well, and she, the Wiggler interview was inter, was interesting because it, it wasn't even an interview. It was like, he asked like one question and she just started talking right. and it was just like, duh, 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 and if she does that to people out there and isn't listening and isn't having a conversation, but is just talking at them, talking over them, through them, around. I mean, it, it, people are not going to enjoy that. And it, it really is going to wear on people quickly because out there you have really nothing to do except interact with people. And if you have a strong personality like that, it can rub people the wrong way because you really do need to listen and you really need to learn who people are who are in your tribe and talk to them, not talk at them. And I could see her doing a lot of talking at people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now I think we are at our last individual for this tribe. Thank mm -hmm. you for hanging in everyone for this long. That's right. I should, I should say, I, I told Jessica uh, before we started recording. Yeah. I'd like to keep this to an hour, but there's probably no way we will. Yeah, we definitely did. We did not. <laughs> Tommy Sheehan is our last individual on this tribe. He's 26. His hometown is Bayville, New York, another New Yorker. He currently resides in Long Beach, New York, and he is a fourth grade teacher. And let me tell you, David Bloomberg, we got to end with Tommy because he, what does he like doing? Asking questions to his magic eight ball. Thank you very much, Tommy. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> it's one of his hobbies. Gosh. One of his hobbies. I oh. thought that was great. So, Tommy, you'll know if you listen to this, and I hope you do. I like to ask magic eight ball questions, too. So. Jeff like, when will Tommy, you know, will Tommy be the next one voted out? You know what? It, it might be a question I'll ask. I, I yeah. might have to at some point. Um, Jeff said, if you stay loyal to him, he might be one of the few people who would remain loyal. So that sounds like he's got a good vibe working for him as far as uh, working with people. I also appreciated his thoughts on David Wright. 
He did talk about David Wright's strategy, Davy's social game, and Amanda Kimball's likability. So he's clearly a Survivor fan, and he's picking parts of players that we've seen and trying to figure out how to work that into a game successfully. So I, I really appreciated that about him, too. And he talked about Survivor being time spent opening up and connecting to people. And when you have real connections with people, they will keep you around longer. So again, that social component, it sounds like he's someone who understands the presence that he puts forth because they're going to look at him and think he's a jock. He's a strong guy because he's a big guy. And then they're going to find out he's a fourth grade teacher. So I do think that he's someone that will come across as likable and not as some, you know, meathead or anything like that. (laughs) But he also understands his archetype and that it doesn't usually make it past the merge. So he's going to be cognizant of that and does not want to get dragged to the final three, which I think is also great. Like he's someone who's going to go all out. He's going to play as hard and as fast as he can and wants to put the target on someone else's back. So I really appreciate his ideas going into the game and the strategy that he's going to put forth. Yeah. uh, You know, he is another player who has watched the show his whole life. Uh, He even made reference to a couple podcasts he's heard as well. And, you know, he wants to play like a sport, like you said, give everything he has and then apologize later. But I mean, that doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, like Russell Hans, who he specifically referenced. You know, mm-hmm. he knows he has to play the social game. And so, you know, he he does know that he has to change up who he is, kind of like you said. And he's another one. He's going to play into the dumb stereotype. So, like I said earlier, we could just have a bunch of people walking around acting like, you know, a bunch of dummies, mm-hmm. uh, I, which I think would be funny if they're trying to outdumb one another. <laughs> um, you know, Jeff Probst thinks everyone will like him. And I feel similarly. Uh, I, I also appreciate what he told Mike Bloom about not making excuses, including people on Survivor when they talk about how they could have done if they didn't get swapped, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you get the hand you're dealt and deal with it. So, you know, that's a man after my own heart there. As long as he doesn't actually get swap screwed, I think he'll at least get to the merge. And at that point, it'll depend on whether he's been doing too well in challenges. I think he'll be fine and make it further into the game. I agree. I think he's going to go very far because I don't think even though he's a larger individual and and someone who might be doing well in challenges, I don't think he's going to come across as threatening i think he's someone who's going to be a very likable person and i think that's going to get him much farther in the game because i do think we've seen it time and time again the social relationships and the bonds that you create are what can carry you through this game and i think he's someone who understands that and recognizes it and i think he will use that to his advantage all right so we're done with them so uh from this tribe well, I'm going to I'm going to say that I most worry about Janet as potentially the first one out. And I know it's stereotypical for a tribe to target the older woman, the oldest woman. But, well, those stereotypes exist. And under normal circumstances, I think she'd have the ability to show that she's strong in certain areas. But the lack of a marooning and a water challenge could undercut her here. See, that was my initial thought as well. And then. I went back and I kept looking at things and as much as I like him and as much as I would love to see him make it far in this game, I ended up going back to Dan and I went back to Dan just because of 
my concerns I have with him interacting with people in his tribe those first few days. And if he has such a strong personality and if he's someone who doesn't put it in the box, like I've talked about before, sometimes you have to take parts of you and not put them out there. And I think that that's going to be a huge issue for Dan. And I think Dan is in, is in tough. He's in a tough spot. He's definitely in a tough spot. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. So now we have to make the big prediction. And uh, I'll go first. Okay. The person who really gave me a feeling, like the very first time going through these, that they could win was Jamal. Ah, I like it. I like it. And so even after going through everyone else a couple times, he just still feels like the most natural pick to me. So that's who I'm going with. Jamal, you're going to win. Which means, um, well, he could. <laughs> yeah, see? see? I just stopped myself there. So here's my pick. I'm picking my soon-to-be prosecutor girl, Molly. I ah. There was something about Molly that I gravitated towards just initially starting, just like you said, things that I was looking at. And her her, her initial appearance doesn't match what I ended up reading and what I ended up hearing when she spoke. She has a, a just a quiet confidence about her that I really like, and I think she's going to use that on the island to her advantage. People aren't going to see her as a threat. They aren't going to realize that she's as a as smart or analytical as she is. And I she's very aware of that. And I I think that I think that Molly Molly's my winner pick and I I'm I'm hoping that I'm correct because I I feel I feel like a, a strange connection to her just because I understand how she presents herself and I understand how people might be reading her as being a little bit mm, boring or not so exciting. But she has she has she wants to win a game. She's out there to play Survivor and she wants she wants to win a million dollars. She's not there for television entertainment. And I really appreciate that about her, too. So I think that she's very game focused and she's my winner pick. I'm sorry, right, Molly, so have, if I've yeah. doomed you. <laughs> so we have Jamal versus Molly. Right. All right. So as we uh, get ready to wrap up here, I want to remind everyone about the RJP patron program. You can head over to robhasawebsite.com slash patron to help support all the RHAP podcasts and also take a look at the various Patreon levels to find out what kinds of perks you can get. Uh, the one I personally think is the most important is you can join the patron Facebook groups to join in the conversations. You can also find out in advance about live events and get first access and discounts for tickets like the upcoming know-it-alls. Uh, Rob also does special podcasts and videos just for patrons. There are a bunch of other perks, too, so check out everything at robhasawebsite.com slash patron. And after you become a patron and get to the Facebook group, make sure to say hello to us there. Yes, and follow us on Twitter. David Bloomberg and I have so much fun together on Twitter. He's at David Bloomberg, and I am at JessicaLewis89. We do a lot of commentary throughout the episodes, and we also post a lot of uh, our thoughts before the podcast and then once the podcast comes out we both put that out there on twitter so please follow us and you can join in the conversation we love having uh interactions with people who are listeners and survivor lovers it's all great it's good stuff so follow us both at david bloomberg or at jessica lewis 89 all right we need a hashtag and uh i uh i don't know do you have one 
Oh, Lord. I, I, you know, it's, I thank you for hanging in this long. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, let's, let's hashtag it Jamal versus Molly. Oh, there you go. I like it. That's good. Yep. All right. And of course, there's the hashtag for this podcast overall, which is hashtag YX lost. Before we finish, I do want to remind everyone about the poster uh, that Eric Reichenbach designed with Jessica, which covers all the rules that, uh, you know, we will be talking about. Uh, so as soon as this podcast is over, go to eBay via the link tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. We've had orders outside the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, from Canada, England, Ireland, Singapore, Australia, and more. So if, if you're one of those people that are outside the U.S., let Jessica know and she'll work out the details with you because eBay will not. Exactly. Uh, so please yeah. DM me, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, Beyond that, make sure you're getting all the Survivor commentary you can handle as we're getting ready to head into this season here by subscribing to all of the RHAP Survivor podcasts at robhasapodcast.com slash Survivor or more likely on your favorite podcatcher. Just go in there, hit subscribe, and you're good. We're also on the Reality TV Rehap Up feed, so you can get us there as well. In both places, you can find great RHAP content like Know-It-Alls, The Wiggle Room, The B&B, &B, and more. Uh, with that, uh, we'd like to thank Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on all the Why Blank Lost podcasts. And thanks, as always, to Will from America for the theme song. Of course, Jessica, thanks to you for overcoming your dread fear of making predictions. Uh, thank you so much. It is very scary to do that every time because I'm so bad at it. However, this is great. Super fun. I'm glad to be back. I always have a good time chatting with you about this. And... I look forward to having a great season. So hopefully Molly wins this battle and it's not Jamal, but I do like Jamal, hey. but Molly's got to win. Molly's got to win. All right. Well, uh, I guess that uh, people can expect to hear from us in, uh, well, depending on when you're listening this, to this, I would say, uh, you know, the, the Sunday night or uh, Monday morning time frame, roughly after the first Survivor episode when we will talk about why the first player lost and see if either of us were right. Excellent. We will talk to you then. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Survivor and you're feeling down. David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why blank love